Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Hey everyone, Uh, today we're talking to Gary Aldridge, um, a a good friend of mine, a therapist as well, who's uh, been through the process of addiction. And I've got to just do a pre-intro intro on the subject of addiction, bearing in mind that that's some of my journey, almost 10 years uh, sober now from alcohol. Um, And it certainly was a cycle of a depressant and trying to, you know, just use something to numb some of the pain and the feelings I was It's sort of an avoidance mechanism to not face up to stuff. But I've recently been reading Russell Brand's uh, book titled Recovery, Freedom from Our Addictions. And I'm going to read a little bit of it just because this concept of addiction is far more reaching than those of us who are alcoholics, junkies, uh, that sort of extreme end of it. And he says uh, in the introduction, page 15, uh, those of us born with clear cut and blatant substance addictions are in many ways the lucky ones. We alcoholics and junkies have minimized our mystery to tiny cycles of craving and fulfillment. Our pattern is easier to observe and therefore with commitment and help easier to resolve. But if your personal pattern happens to be the addiction equivalent of the long-form contract as opposed to a short grift, it can take ages to know just what your problem is. If you're addicted to bad relationships, bad food, abusive bosses, conflict, or pornography, it can take a lifetime to spot the problem, and apparently a lifetime is all we have. Do you, do you have that sense that something is missing, a feeling in your gut that you're not good enough, that if you tick off some action, whether it's eating a Twix, buying some shoes, smoking a joint, or getting a good job, that you will feel better? If you do, it's hardly surprising because I believe we live in an age of addiction where addictive thinking has become almost totally immersive. It is the mode of our culture. Consumerism is stimulus and response as a design for life. The very idea that you can somehow make your life all right by attaining primitive goals is consistent and it is quite wrong. And he goes on to say, addiction is when natural biological imperatives like the need for food, sex, relaxation, or status become prioritized to the point of destructiveness. Think about that. Think about what patterns you might have in your life that lead to destructiveness, even if it isn't quite in the same extreme form as as alcohol or uh, drugs. It is exacerbated by a culture that understandably exploits this mechanic, and it's a damn good way to sell Mars bars and Toyotas. In my own blessedly garish addiction, each addictive pursuit has been an act of peculiar faith that the action will solve a problem. So I read that just to show how universal this issue is, thinking about, you know, if we're, if we're sitting in uncertainty or discomfort, it can be easier to go to our addiction of choice, our phones, uh, consumerism, uh, bad relationships, bad bosses, simply because if in the moment it feels easier than uh, facing up to the actual thing that is going on. So that's my little intro to um, connecting us all to this topic 
topic. And it's my great pleasure to to have Gary uh, on the show. Uh, we obviously I resonate so much with his story. And the trick is not just the absence of those things and saying no to them, but it's replacing them with new and healthy coping mechanisms. Whether that's nurturing connection friendships that actually matter and mean something and pursuits that actually make you feel alive rather than destroy your self-worth and, and sense of purpose. So join me for this one. I'm excited. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Today I'm so excited. We've got Gary Aldridge with us who's, who's a therapist. Um, he works in, in addiction services. Gary, welcome to the podcast. Uh, yeah, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what, what kind of work do you do at the moment? What are you passionate about in life? Um, I am currently working in a residential rehab, which supports people with substance misuse. Um, so people come and live and stay with us for three to six months. Um, I've worked in the field of addiction for the last six, seven years, and it's yeah, it's a passion that's come out of sort of my own personal uh, life experiences. Um, yeah, seeing people be able to sort of rebuild their lives back again is something that um, is, is a passion of mine and something I get to see and witness now, which is um, yeah, it's a great experience to, to have. So you're sort of giving back, watching people through through their journey. I, I imagine there's some people that, that don't recover as, as well. I wonder what that's like. Uh, yeah, it can be quite difficult at times um, when you invest quite a lot into people and they are maybe unwilling to change or they find it too difficult to change. Um, yeah, and it can be quite sad sometimes watching someone then return back to the lifestyle that, that sort of brought them to uh, the rehab centre. So as much as the, the work is very rewarding, um, it can it can also have its disappointments as, as well at times. It's challenging. Um, and there's also a, a timing thing, isn't there? I mean, as you know, some of my story has addiction in it as well. Uh, and it's very much being ready to uh, create change. Yes, most definitely. I think um, it can be hard to judge who is ready at times when they come through the doors of our centre. Um, and it is our job to elicit that, that change and motivation um, within them. But still at times you will face difficulties that some people they just don't want to change aspects about themselves um yeah um and i know some of this is is your story as well and i'm curious uh just about your your journey and what got you through to to where you are today which is helping so many people um give us a little bit of of context of sort of your your family upbringing i mean do you think your parents and maybe the education system prepared you for life in the real world um it's funny i was having a conversation with someone about this the other day that uh, I've done more studying than educating myself in the last six, seven years since I come into recovery um, than I ever did prior to that. And for me personally, I don't believe the education system was fitted and suited for someone maybe like myself. Um, it wasn't that I didn't have the capabilities. I, I just didn't know how to apply myself. And um, I think it, what I really needed at, at a younger age was more mentoring and guidance um, rather than sort of punitive punishment, um, which was what I, I, I received in the educational system. Um, not that that's wrong um, 
but you can well, sort of good or bad mm. but it it was that was how it was for me at, uh, at that age if I go back sort of 17 18 years ago when I was in say secondary school it was if you didn't fit this the way that we're going to teach this then that's your fault almost there was no other sort of way of um delivering the education so for me I I, I, I struggled with that um, and as, as a result sort of rebelled against what what was sort of being taught to me and and what didn't quite work for you as far as the the teaching styles or how they did it I think it was like the punitive punishment um it was only now as a therapist and coming into recovery I, I, I realized and understood that I I lack some self-esteem and self-worth and confidence uh, and what I needed was uh, some mentoring some coaching just to you know, support me in, in that time. So um, I wasn't the type of child that was easy to put my hand up and ask for help. If I didn't know, I would just I, I would just ignore it. Um, probably what I needed more was someone to spend a bit more time with me and being able to, you know, sort of guide and show me because I'm not, um, I'm not stupid. You know, if you, if you show me... Um, I'll learn and I've learned about learning styles over over the last few years and, and that for me I'm I tend to lean towards like the kinesthetic side of things so show me and let me go and do it and then talk to me afterwards and correct me and then I, I get things rather than reading from a book because I don't retain information too well um or it just being delivered in like a didactic approach to me I, I still don't it, it doesn't resonate that well well with me um, and I think the education system was not geared in that way as much um, at a time when I was at school and I imagine that just had a longer term impact on your confidence or your belief in your ability to to learn and become successful in that way Yes, yeah, definitely. Even when I um, started to re-educate myself in 2010, I had to go right back to the very beginning. I left school with no GCSEs. Um, so going back into a classroom environment as an adult, sat around people 15 years younger than me, you know, it was, it was really difficult for me. But I found that that was going to have to be something I needed to do if I wanted to get where I wanted to get because I couldn't get onto any other courses without my, the basic English and maths mm. um, so yeah and, and that, that I struggled with that like being sat around what I would say that at that time like teenagers and kids as an adult and having to sort of sit there and re-educate re myself it was it, it, yeah it took a lot of determination not to walk out and think I don't want to do this because it felt quite shameful being around you know younger people I was the, the oldest in the class um yeah, yeah so it, it, was, it was quite difficult absolutely going back to school can um trigger so many things as as an adult so so what was your family context like did you have siblings do you think your parents played a key role in in preparing you for life when I when I look back on it, um, I can now see sort of like family dynamics that that went on for me um, that played a part and contributed, I believe, to my own concept of who I was. Um, 
I, I think my mum and dad did a very good job and they are still still together and they loved me in a way that they knew how to love me from their own um, conditioning but there was a lot of criticism and, and from my from my mum mainly more than more than anything um, that had a lasting impact on on me and I think that contributed to me developing this idea of not being a success and being a failure and not being good enough as as a young child not that I was aware of that as a child it's no. only through, through the course of therapy and being in recovery and sort of hindsight I can now see that and I can see how that contributed and, and directed me in a way that um, built belief systems about myself that were unhealthy that didn't didn't serve 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 me yeah in any way yeah absolutely and so um your your school life uh just didn't suit you very very well it sounds like you you were punished sort of regularly um wh- what happened as you move forward as a as sort of a young adult um whilst i was in school i got involved in taking drugs um i think it was at first a way of escaping how I felt about myself um, it allowed me some kind of social status within a peer group at school um, and that quickly spiralled for, for someone I understand like myself now um, when I take and use drugs I don't use them, take them like other people do and to the extent that I become quite addicted to substances quite quickly so by the time I just made it through school, if I'm honest, um, just sort of jumping back a bit, some of the punitive punishment, I spent year, a whole year at one point in school in what they called isolation. Mm. So I wasn't, I wasn't allowed in any classrooms. I wasn't allowed any breaks. Um, and, and as a result of that, I used to bunk off school a lot and I was smoking drugs at those times um, when I was bunking off school. So the, the more punitive punishment, the more I rebelled and the more I rebelled, the more solace and comfort I found in taking drugs because I think what was happening for me was being the, the same feelings of maybe feeling rejected in my family life. I always feel like I was being rejected in school again. So I found I found comfort within a group of people that wanted to take drugs and they were happy to do that sort of with me. Um, so I, I, I did get expelled, but they allowed me back into sit my GCSEs but by the time I got to sort of taking my GCSEs I, I was so addicted to taking drugs at that time that, that I was never going to be able to surmount any type of grade so um, I left left school I managed to get some work you know in a warehouse at, at the time but really all I was doing was earning money to to buy drugs and um, I spent 10 plus years uh, taking drugs and in in that time and in in that frame I I ended up in prison um, I ended up homeless um, I've been into rehab on several occasions and um, I, I was heavily involved in the criminal justice sector um, I was known as a prolific offender which meant I couldn't go into certain parts of the town I was monitored by police and, and um, I reached a point in 
And what, can I just ask, would you put all of those things, sort of the, the homelessness, the criminal convictions, all of that down to your drug use and, and fueling that habit? Yes, most definitely, yeah. Um, the way my addiction went was uh, I, ha- I had to fund my habit through committing crime. That was the only way that I could... I, I was unable to function in terms of turning up for any type of jobs or or work so I become trapped in that spiral of the criminal justice sector where I would get arrested for my offending which was drug related they would then try and support me in a way in the community to help me get clean which sometimes would work and I met some very good workers and people along that time but it didn't never really worked um, for me um, I went to my first rehab when I was 21 in, in and that was in a prison, um, something called the Wrapped Program. Oh yeah. I I was on there, and I was the youngest guy guy on there, and I I, I remember sitting around in it in what they would call group therapy at the time, and there was just, there was quite a lot of men in there, and I would look around and I would just think, I don't need to be here. This isn't that bad for me. Um, and I would hear people's stories of men in their late forties, and I was. I just I didn't see that that was mean. It was that that bad. Um, I, I later found out I just I just wasn't ready at that time to maybe give up and give up the lifestyle that I, I was living. Um, it sounds I like that's back. all you knew. Yeah, it was. Yeah, you sort of. I left prison. I um, I had to go into a, a day rehab program. Really, all that did was just surround me by and around other people that were actively using drugs. And, and then I started using drugs again. Um, and I, I ended up um, in and out of prison again a few more times before going into rehab again at, 20, at 27. Um, and in between that time, what happened was I was on probation and I met I met a guy and he become like a mentor for me. Um, and... He, he, he sort of didn't really ever tell me what I should be doing. He just sort of shared some of his experiences and just was sort of giving me guidance. And um, yeah, I think it was the first time that I really trusted in someone and, and believed that, that there could be a different way to live in, live in my life. Um, he was, I think he was six years clean and sober himself and he was volunteering for the probation office that I was currently going to. And... Um, he just gave me some inspiration and some hope that actually something could change. And in through a set of circumstances over a period of time, I could. He he became my drugs worker, and then eventually he was part of a process which got me into um, another rehab in in Bournemouth. And I still see the guy today. I still speak to him today. He's still clean and sober. And um, yeah, and I think that was the thing that was always missing. I just think I needed someone just to give me some mentoring, some some guidance. Um, family, as much as they loved me and, and tried in those difficult times, um, I think I needed someone outside of my family unit who wasn't like emotionally connected to me that could could relate to me and what was going on from their own life experiences and um to sort of speak your language 
Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, he he yeah he was able to sort of get through to me at times, and, and you know he 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 would say to me, you know, you're gonna you're gonna need to go to rehab again, and I suggest you go quite far away and you stay down there afterwards and relocate and start a new life somewhere else. And um, that was very practical. Yeah, it was, and he he never preached to me. He just sort of would share little bits about his story and just little bits of guidance um he was reliable i think that was the thing that that was quite good as well so he would always be there when he agreed to meet me at certain times um and he would take me for coffee and just sit and talk with me and it was just quite normal it wasn't like clinical or forced like when, when i had to go into probation or i had to go and other appointments where we're sat in this room and I'm, and I'm sort of almost forced to talk it was it was a much more informal relaxed approach which which worked for me yeah he did he didn't have to be there but he wanted to be yeah and I, I couldn't get my head around that at first like you're doing this on a voluntary basis you're doing it for free why like what do you get out what are you getting out of this um it's only sort of years later I understood actually it was helping him just as much as it was helping me. Isn't it interesting uh, mm. how the tables sort of uh, turn completely? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so I to, up, yeah, yeah, so I often talk, I mean, you, you're talking about so much ad- adversity, obviously, and then that's sort of the, the theme of this podcast. And I often talk about um, the blessing of, of rock bottoms or completely crashing out that allows some of us to begin to to rebuild our lives and I, I imagine you've had a few but are, are there any sort of rock bottoms or, or do you relate to that concept that sort of um, stick out in your mind as turning points for you yeah there was a particular particular day and it always does um stand out i i've been into prison again and, and I, I come back out and i had a flat at this time and um and it had been burgled and they'd stolen everything out of my flat and I was back using drugs and um, I just woke up one morning and, and it was it's like a moment of clarity. I just knew in that moment that if something didn't happen in my life, I was going to die in drug addiction. That was very clear to me in that moment that this wasn't going to get any better for me. It was only going to get worse. Um, and it was sort of like the mustard seed that made me move sort of the mountain of unwillingness to do anything and sort of made me ask for help at the local drug and alcohol service again. And um, the guy who I mentioned, who was a volunteer for probation, was now employed by them. And I be- he became my worker, and that sort of set off a cycle of, um, of events that led me to, yeah, going into Bournemouth and going into a rehab down there. Um and it sort of stuck with me, that willingness to actually engage with them. And they asked me to do a certain amount of groups to show my commitment to getting the funding to go into rehab. And I attended every single one, um, despite still living in quite a chaotic lifestyle. Um, and that that was enough for them to see that I was motivated to make the changes and yeah, go, in, go into rehab. And so what was different this time to all of the other times that you'd been to some kind of rehab or support? Um, at first, at, at first, I didn't take rehab seriously. So I was granted, luckily enough at the time, six months um, funding to go there. And, and I sort of wasted the first three months whilst I was there. It, 
it seemed a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh and then um, um, they threatened to kick me out and, and again sort of the realisation that I've got nowhere now um, I don't even have a home anymore to live because that's gone I had to hand that in to go into rehab and um, there was a therapist in there and she'd been my counsellor since day day one and she, she worked very hard and fought for me and um, I sort of trusted her and, and I was able to sort of open up and share with her for the first time really about my life experiences, what it was like growing up, um, how I felt about myself, which was, you know, pretty low at that time. And um, there was just some light bulb moments for me whilst I was in therapy with her. Like I made a lot of connections with my past, with childhood and school experiences and relationships that hadn't worked and I could start, start to under, understood and um, that really helped me just having someone who could sit with me each week and I could offload and and understand why it is I do that I, the things that I did because um, there was reasons I wasn't just using drugs um, recreationally like people do at weekends there was a lot more underneath for me that was happening it why I kept on doing what I was doing to myself and um, and everyone around around me and um, I think once I could start to make sense of those things and understand where I'd been I knew how potentially to move forward and they inspired some hope into me that you know I could stay clean I could rebuild my life um, with their guidance and pointing direct to me sort of in the right way. How hard were those first few, few months or, or years? I mean, uh, how long have you been um, clean? Um, I'm in my eighth year now. And, uh, I would say the first, the first two years were quite difficult. Um, yeah, I did. I didn't have a lot of money and I was inspired that they wanted me to come back and do some voluntary work for them at the rehab. Um, and as a part of that it meant educating myself and like I said at the beginning having to go back into school and college to, to do those things but once the momentum started and I had the support around me and people were encouraging me and they were saying that they could see that I could work in this sector and I would make a good worker and then sort of encouraging me it, it helped, but it was it was quite difficult. I didn't have a lot of money. Um, there was opportunities that I could have done things dishonestly, cash in hand work and things like that. But I really didn't want to do those things. Um, for the first time, I really wanted to pay for my own education at times, which I did. Um, and then, uh, and eventually they did. They gave they gave me um, a night a night worker job. That was my first job in in over ten years. I think something like that. Um, oh wow! Yeah, and having that trust and having that, um, I, I didn't get the first job actually. I went for my first interview and um, another volunteer got it, and it was really crushing. I remember how how devastated I felt. Um, and I wanted to run away at that time. I remember that. I wanted to run away because, like, again, it was that rejection stuff and like feeling like I wasn't good enough. Um, but they told me just to keep going on and just keep, you know, things will happen. There will be other opportunities. Um, 
and they did eventually another job come up and I and I got and I got the, I got the job and and without a cliche saying it, it's like I haven't really looked back since then and I've always tried to move forward in in every area of sort of educating myself and um, my career so I studied health and social care um, and got my diplomas within that and then the next thing was is I wanted to be a counsellor uh, so I started my counselling courses then the time come to get a placement and the rehab offered me a placement and then they offered me one day a week paid as a trainee counsellor whilst I was studying um, which was quite a privilege actually at the time when I think about the, the state of voluntary sectors and certain organisations within the UK at the moment where there's a lot of counsellors qualified counsellors who can't even get paid work that's true um I was very privileged at that time to be paid one day a week in something that I really loved and really enjoyed doing. Um, but I had I had two jobs. I was a night worker, I was a counsellor, and I was studying. Um, and everything that comes with studying to be a counsellor, which is many hours and... Full on. Yeah, it was quite full on. And I, when I think back at it now, it's like, I don't know really how. I did it all. Um, yeah, because what people don't realize is, is you've got the theoretical bit of learning and, and showing up and writing papers and all the rest of it. Then you've got the whole emotional thing of looking inwardly, looking at yourself, trying to understand your own patterns so that you can separate them from that of your clients. Like That's what they don't necessarily prepare you for. Yeah, and I then realized for myself about three or four years clean and... Um, I would say it was the first adult relationship that I got into. A lot of new stuff come up for me and I had to go back into therapy again. And I spent almost three years in therapy whilst I was in Bournemouth um, because a lot of new stuff come up for me. And, and, and that was a really challenging time being in a, in, in a relationship for the first time. I sometimes think that like, the purpose of relationships is for us to work out some of our triggers it just seems to all come out through, through that and through parenting, I think. Yeah, a lot of the rejection stuff come back up for me again and not feeling good enough because I was working only part-time and I didn't have lots of money and it, all of that stuff come come back for, for me and it was sort of working through that again and um, it was a great process, if I'm honest, for me to do um, whilst I was studying at that time. Um, and so, um, obviously, you, you you asked for help at some points. I mean, I'm I'm curious still about that journey from you know that moment, that defining moment of saying, if I don't do this, I'm going to die. Like I can just see that now. To to joining rehab. To were, were you asking for help? I mean, I know the the AAs and the NAs. You know, they really encourage that that community aspect of of asking another addict or or alcoholic for help. But that that can also be really hard because we want to, uh, you know, rely on ourselves or there's so much shame around asking for help that we, we sort of struggle on our own. I mean, what was that journey like for you? I think at the beginning it was it was easy because I had nothing. It didn't like it didn't really matter. I was at such a low that it was so easy to ask for help. And that, the the weird phenomenon is that's gone on as the longer I've got clean and sober it, it then becomes harder to ask for help um, 
Oh, I see. The more like uh, sorted, successful, uh, you're in work, like no- normalized in inverted commas that you are. Yeah, because I, I've been really fortunate. In, I moved from Bournemouth back to Hertfordshire um, two years ago. And in that time, I've had like successful promotions and become a team leader in in um, in a rehab. And then it's all of a sudden like people are always looking and coming to me for the support and guidance and to lead, lead them. And um, then becomes difficult to ask for help because you are this source of information and sometimes the be all and end all of knowing everything and um, I've had to learn through again going on more courses about leadership styles and how to how to delegate um, and how to challenge and how to confront um, workers which is a completely new different um, arena for me and it's also been a real period of growth over the last 18 months to sort of come out of another comfort zone and have difficult conversations with colleagues um, but still yeah having to actually find the ability to ask for help still as well myself as well and sort of go to my managers and say you know I need some help with this and what what do I do um, in this in this situation I, I've got I've got better uh, again recently but yeah, there's been periods where I have struggled to to ask for for help. Um, I guess there's maybe a part of me that's I should know now, or I'm this far along, uh, sort of forgetting actually that still lots for me to learn and still a lot of growth growth for me to do. But I always find that when I do ask for help and I do attend twelve step meetings that. Um, those that I do ask for help are always willing to to help and same in in, in work and, and same in education as well when I'm on courses people are always willing to yeah give that support and, and, and advice it's a good point about management and leadership and where we have an assumption or we think that other people have an assumption that because we've moved up somewhat uh, that we should know everything or, or not need anyone. Um, and it, it feels like it's even more important at those stages to either have routines and habits that, that look after our own mental health and well-being or to be asking for help from the right people in order to be able to keep giving out, you know, at that sort of level. Yeah, most, most definitely. And um, I, I found that because I was their colleague and being promoted within an organisation actually posed its own difficulties for for other people because I'd sort of surpassed other people quickly and the, the dynamics of, of that. And again, for me, all that, am I worthy? Do I deserve these promotions? All that stuff sort of kicks back in sometimes. And I have to remember that I, I wouldn't be in those positions if people didn't believe in me and put me into those positions because... Ultimately, I have worked very hard over the over the years to get myself where I, where I am, and being put in a leadership position has been because I have those qualities and those skills, and and I demonstrate demonstrate those. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a huge period period of um, growth for me. Um, and so, so what have you learned during this time, or? Um, what what are the things that you do now at the level that you're at to to look after your own well being? 
if I could touch on to something, when I moved back from um, Bournemouth, I was in a long-term relationship with someone and I moved back to, to Hertfordshire and um, we moved in together and, and the plan was to have a, get a mortgage and um, we was going to, I believe, have children and, and sort of settle down and that was um, the, the plan. And then that didn't work out and... Um, for me it was such a struggle at that time to then have to I, I had to I moved back into the home town of where I had originally moved away from from seven mm. years oh, seven right. years where all the bad years. influences were yeah and um, you know it was quite it was quite difficult to go through all that wake up clean sober for the first time I'd never experienced such overwhelming feelings of um I'd say rejection and disappointment um, for me, and, and I, I found lots of comfort in work. And I, and I realised actually what happened for me was is I used work as an escape period for me. And um, during those times of getting those promotions and things like that, um, you know, I really applied myself in my work. But it was only until. I'd say maybe six months ago, my, my manager called me in the office and she she's like, sat me down and was, you cannot keep working the hours that you're working, you're doing too much. And and, and, and I realised that my own self-care had been neglected. Mm. Um, working in, in, a, in a rehab and working as a, as a therapist as well, because in that whole time as well, I set up a private practice as a, as a counsellor outside of my work. And... Um, I've come to realise that having breaks and switching off from work and having sort of my own interests, um, especially outside of addiction as well, have been sort of key and fundamental for me. Um, I practice yoga and I have done for the last three or four years now um, and I regularly go on retreats and I regularly take time time away. Um, I'm travelling this Next year in January, I'm going to be leaving the country for the first time on my own to go to India. Oh, lovely! Uh, because yeah, I went. I went last January, and that was the first time I'd been out of the country. Because um, I, I never was. I never went on holidays because of my addiction. So, traveling now has started to become a thing for me uh, as a way to look after myself, switch off from from my work. Um, I have a dedicated night on a Tuesday night, which I go to uh, a yoga class. It would only be an emergency that I wouldn't attend that class. I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't see a client if they needed an appointment on a Tuesday night because I've made that that um, sort of sacred night for me. I don't. I won't work Tuesday nights. Um, weekends now have become quite important as a time to switch off for myself. Um, good diet eating um, healthy foods I recently become a vegetarian which is something that's just come about from the decisions that I wanted to make around like health and lifestyle choices um, regularly exercise I go to the gym a few times a week and, and, and I go with go with friends um, and I try and enjoy food food out in places and try and enjoy new 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 things um, new places it's been yeah hugely important for me because it 
there's still that part of me that I, I lost over a decade of my life for addiction. So there's still a lot of things I haven't done or I've not got lots of experience in. So it's quite nice to do new things um, for, for me. And that's almost like some self-care and sort of um, self-healing and repairing for myself. Lovely. I mean, what I'm hearing is that you're creating sort of a whole life for yourself that's not just focused even on just recovery and and your work. And I see it frequently that work, and I'm guilty of this myself, that work can become the new addiction as by way of escape or what if we do well at our jobs, then our self-worth sort of improves. Um, and then what's easy to neglect or maybe the, the relationships uh, or the things that are just fun for the sake of being fun. You know, I mean, I, I feel like I'm still rediscovering that uh, in it being sober myself for, for nine years now, um, just trying to go, Hey, what do, what do people do for fun? That isn't about building a business or, uh, being great at my job. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, most definitely. And, and I found like a little community of people in my yoga class, um, who are not anything to do with addiction and none of them are in recovery. Uh, and I don't even know if they know that I am. Um, and it's not that I don't make it a public um, thing people would know if they looked on any sort of social media links uh, that I have but it's something I learned in early recovery I used to just tell everyone it was like this first thing I'd tell people it's like your whole Um, identity yeah and it it just really isn't now it's quite nice to go in on a Tuesday night and roll out my mat and I'm I'm just Gary who comes to yoga yoga yeah and and um yeah it's quite nice to have that sort of place where that you know people know they know if they don't they don't that's then it's okay and if anyone did ask I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to the people about that but I don't I don't need to or feel the desire to make that the first conversation uh, that that we have yeah it doesn't have to define you anymore and I guess in the first couple of years, we, we sort of have to obsess about recovery groups and, and people in recovery in order to survive and learn new habits. And then it's always an interesting transition when we can kind of do that a bit in a, in a lighter way to look after us, but also learn new tactics for looking after yourself. I, I imagine that before you came into recovery, you wouldn't ever have conceived of Gary, just Gary going to a yoga class, right? No, definitely not. It was something... And it, Again, if you want to talk about adversity, like I, um, I joined a recovery football team when I was living in Bournemouth, and um, I had a really bad knee injury whilst I was playing, and and I was told it was probably wouldn't be a good idea to play foot, football again, and I um, I was on crutches for quite a long time, and the physio was quite into gym and fitness at that time, and he he suggested yoga he said if you want something to do you can you can do yoga and that was where the journey of going getting into yoga started for me um yeah after a sort of serious knee injury and not really being able to go back and play football ever again um so sort of rehabilitation and then, yeah. and then you got into it yeah and it just sort of led me to another thing which was an amazing experience and and it's what really inspired me was um i turned up to this first class uh, in it was in a gym and there was um there was a lady who was taking the class and and, you know I estimated at the time she must have been in her late 60s and she sort of just wiped the floor with me in terms of like (laughs) 
what I could do and like I watched her do a headstand and watched her flexibility and I was just like in awe I was like oh my god like and and she had like an air of grace around her and it was you know she was very warm in 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 her way because you could see I was still sort of struggling with an in injury um but again I was sort of inspired by by her to sort of keep coming each week and um yeah she had quite a, a nice aura about her that was quite inviting that allowed lots of people in, in, in the class um, to feel comfortable and safe, I think, with, with her. Lovely. And so um, what, what advice would you give to your younger self who's, who's been through so much adversity and low self-belief? And if you could look back at the younger Gary and give him some of the wisdom that you've got now, what would it be? Be kinder to yourself. Yeah. If I could say anything, it'd be be kinder to yourself because I was and at times have been you know my harshest critic and yeah if I could just yeah if I could give one piece of wisdom I'd say be kinder to yourself because it will be okay that's so uh profound I wish someone had said that to me you know or or I had taken that advice when when I was sort of early on in my recovery at, at sort of 25 um I don't think anyone had given me that wisdom um <laughs> And we are our harshest critic. It feels like the, the voice in our own head telling us why we're worthless is, is louder than, than anyone else's. So, so to the listeners, uh, be, be kind to yourself today. Um, Gary, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you? Um, I am on LinkedIn under Gary Aldridge, or if not on Facebook and Instagram, I can be found under Aldridge Counseling Services um, and also my website, is under Aldridge Counselling Services as, as well. And I'm on most local counselling directories and that within Hertfordshire. So, yeah. Lovely, lovely. Thank you, Gary. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Um, I take great pride in, in listening to your story because I relate to it so much. And it's amazing to see you both looking at your, after yourself, being kinder to yourself, as well as just giving back in such a profound way. Thank you so much. No, thank you for the invitation. It's been, been great. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.